that, you know, it's like how kids talk about baseball players. That's how we talk about albums. We're just trying to postpone mortality. They need that to fill some kind of void that they have. The search for the Yeti. He's a duck. <laughs> well, don't interfucking rough. Glitter burned by restless thoughts. It's the Smashing Pumpcast. I'm Frank Garcia Hill. I'm Pat O'Brien, and man, this—I mean, I don't even know—I don't even know what to say. This is this is the beginning of our melancholy and the infinite sadness episode, two-part episode. Of course, uh, I mean we we could easily do a four six part there's so much uh, there's so much uh that goes into this episode and to this album and the history so we might miss some stuff there might be some blind spots we tried our best we did a lot of research some of it we might have to omit for time uh, because we are on a, a schedule that we have to keep we are family men we have children to take <laughs> we care have children of. I we mean, have children we could to- truly abandon our families talking about that you know about this it would take you know we we could devote that much time but i don't think anybody out there wants us to ab- fully abandon our families so yeah please don't make it if you do that's a family. messed up thing for you to wish yeah honestly. what's wrong with you come on come on man Jeez! All right, you think about what you've done, and and we are going to dive into talking about the first, and, and we're taking a CD approach because let's face yeah. it, this is a CD album. This was conceived as a double oh, yeah. CD, um, triple or quadruple vinyl, of course. But this is a, you know the king king of the CD era. Um, so we're going with disc one, Dawn to Dusk. Uh, I'll just say, you know, we. we we're obviously going chronologically through these albums, sprinkling in the new stuff that's coming out. And, it, it, but you know, I am a melancholy boy. This is like the <laughs> album for me that like we talked about Siamese dream, which is kind of also, you know, obviously we've, you know, in big, important special album. Yeah. I'm a Siamese lad. You're a melancholy boy. I think at the end of the day, especially, you know, it, I ha- I mean, I have, I have, but one tattoo on my body and it's it's pulled from the liner notes of of the CD it's the little um rubber stamp moon with stars around it from the tonight tonight page and the i believe the farewell and good night page in the original liner notes it's it's just it just got me it's it's you know i Siamese dream tickled my tickled my uh my my under chin my pickle (laughs) and and this one i just like this one just hooked me so it's you know this this one means a a great deal to me take us through 1995 pat when this got released for you so not released for you but when it was released right when i was given my tower (laughs) records had me come in and um yeah i was okay so 95 96 year i was in sixth grade and this just truly transports me back to that time i mean i um i also started skateboarding that year too which is you know which is another reason why i gotta buy that melancholy um skateboard when it comes out um but yeah i mean i i was already into the band but the 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 combination i mean i i remember you know bullet with butterfly wings hearing that and that i was like okay this yes this works for me yes this i i but but by the time the um tonight tonight video came out 
I just think like as a visual person and a kid who, um, you know, loved to draw, that was like always my main deal. That was my sort of one talent that I had and my like favorite thing to do. The combination of the, just the, the like vital feeling music with this like super interesting visual accompaniment like with, with the album art as well as the, the many many cool videos it was just like it was just kind of everything to me you know it it, it it just hooked me and it was so much to, there was so much to to live in and explore and kind of get immersed in it's such an immersive experience and to have it like it, I just feel like it imprinted on me um, at, at kind of like how um, Eric from Fruit Bats was talking about like a Siamese dream got him at the exact right time. Like this got me at the exact right time. It's, you know, and it'll always be, I, I think I'll always kind of call, I'll have like separate categories for like, this is like kind of currently my favorite album or this is my favorite album when I, from adulthood or something but like this has kind of always been and always gonna be my favorite album period and partly it's the like desert island thing of like what would you take with you because there's just so much <laughs> but um it's kind of cheating when you say that but yeah that's kind of yeah i, I mean i'm a thrifty guy you know i'm like how do you get <laughs> how do you get more for your buck so anyway but that yeah that's just kind of like the the in broad strokes what what it means to me and what it meant to me and what it continues to mean to me but what what is what is what is young frank going through um doing when this comes out in october uh pat let me paint the picture for you okay please uh young latino male in a small texas town 13 years old feeling isolated by his surrounding surroundings and uh feeling out of place and just um alone Mm -hmm. and you know pumpkins being my favorite band of all time and this album uh, was being teased throughout the year on MTV, so I was ready for it. Mm-hmm. I was absolutely ready for it. I was counting down the days. Um, the day before they did a radio uh, broadcast, they did a, a release party show at the Riviera Theater, and uh, it was a live FM broadcast across the United States, and I remember recording that, and I still have it on tape somewhere. But I, if I remember correctly, there was a power outage. I don't know if anybody can hear us out there in Radio Land, but all the power went out. And, you know, when you know it. Anyway, thanks for listening to nothing. And they played a few songs from the album. So while I had to wait that weekend because we were, I knew that weekend we were going to Town East Mall <laughs> nice. uh, near Dallas. And uh, across from there was the best buy I would go to. Uh, to get CDs uh, whenever we go there. It was perfect timing because I was like, that's when I'm going to buy Melancholy. And um, I uh, was listening to that album release show, that that live show, so much, just getting familiar with the songs and the versions of the songs. And I was just so excited. And I was just over the moon. I just couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. Um, Good way to put it, over the moon. Yeah, over the moon, yeah. And then, you know, the Bullet with Butterfly Wings video, I was just like, yes, I'm sticking in my veins. I am ready for this. And uh, as I've told on this podcast before, 
uh, went to buy the CD, uh, came back. Uh, we, we got McDonald's on the way back home. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. that, that lovely uh, cardboardish booklet uh, that has the lyrics, um, I had a grease stain on it from my thumbprint. Uh, because my little fat ass couldn't help but eat some fries while I was listening to the album uh, or having some uh, nuggets. Uh, But yeah, I immediately, I mean, I was just front to back. uh, Still that first track just really, we'll get into it, but like it just immediately takes me there to sitting down in my CD player, uh, sitting right down, like right in front of the boom box, putting Mm -hmm. this, uh, unwrapping the CD, just marveling at the packaging on the inside, opening my CD player and putting that first disc in and just hitting play and then just sitting in front of the boom box for the whole album for both discs front to back. And then right after just being like, okay, going to listen to that again. Yeah. I, well, first of all, I remember the, the staking out the store at my local mall. I think it was, it was like an off brand kind of Sam Goody like store, but like, I don't know if it, if, there, if it was a chain or what, but I think it was called, it was like a, li- not Coconuts, that was one near my college in another yeah. mall, but um, something, we'll call it Coconuts. Um, <laughs> and just like being like, just like having my eye on it and like, I don't know if I like saved up a little, I, like I knew this is like a big ticket item as far as CDs go. I had a small CD collection at this point, but I was like, I'm getting this like come hell or high water. And I think a a really key thing that you just described is like this album more than anything, any piece of any album has always been a full, fully attentive listening experience. I would do the same thing. I would park myself on the ground uh, in my room. I would have the CD splayed out in front of me and I would listen to it and I would experience the the booklets. I would sometimes yeah. I would draw too. I would have like a you know a sketch pad, and I would kind of like I'm gonna if I ever I have a, a sketch that I did of um, Billy in the band photo. Um, oh, nice! With with uh, and I wrote Billy Corgan under it in like the back cover song title font. But yeah, that 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 was my experience too. Just like more than any other album plunking down and and like undivided attention um just just sort of experiencing it so um anyway october 23rd 1995 is when this was released in the uk and october 24th in the u.s um it's produced by billy corgan and flood aka uh mark ellis and alan Mulder. um Flood produced things like people like uh, U2, Nine Inch Nails, Depeche Mode, PJ Harvey, and Alan Mulder, Nine Inch Nails, Ride, Swerve Driver, Depeche Mode, and of course, The Future Embrace. Uh, recorded at Pumpkinland, Sadlands, Bug Studio, Chicago Recording Company, and The Village Recorder. Uh, this, this to me feels like, I mean, because it is true, it is a good represent, representation of the band because the band actually played on it mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's fully the band uh but anyway yeah this marks the the greater musical input from the band debuted at number one certified diamond we talked about that before which means 10 million units sold and then there were as you said pat before the vinyl edition is three lps and it's um 
sequence differently. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to have a future episode where we do that version of Melancholy and we talk about the differences, but that'll be a little bit further down the road. Uh, but I actually made a playlist of that version. Oh, I've yet really? to listen to it, but I'm excited to. Uh, but yeah, it um, earned them seven Grammy Award nominations in 1997, including Album of the Year, Record of the Year, as well as nine MTV Video Music Awards. Well, I'll never forget the um, when they opened the show, the Video Music Awards. I think we've talked about this. That to me, that was like, that was like the epicenter of me. Like I was like so, so plugged in, so ready for that. And they were so. It was like, um, I mean, clearly you you at that time. And it's it's funny how the VMAs are still a big deal, kind of. Yeah, the, it's kind of it, surprising. Even though like MTV isn't in terms of music, but um, but anyway, so it, the 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 big deal of the VMAs has you know persisted. So it's like you know, but but um, you know, like the, they were the clear choice to open that show, and I just remember them playing tonight tonight i believe right and and billy's wearing a dress which i you know bald head like it it it, it's it was just the coolest fucking thing ever and and as we talked about like being fans of the members of the the band um it was just like yeah primo well that particular performance is especially poignant because that was their first public appearance and performance post the jimmy stuff Mm-hmm. of him leaving or being kicked out of the band. And they, I remember they had a huge interview with Tabitha Soren beforehand. I caught up with the three remaining pumpkins a couple of weeks ago, and they held nothing back in exploding the myth of Rock's romance with drugs. Maybe we'll link to that when we post the episode of that interview, because I remember watching that interview a lot uh, and how somber it was and how down it was. But then, you know, it's triumphant when you see them open the show with Tonight Tonight with Matt Walker and kind of being like okay we're gonna we're gonna move on we're gonna go mm-hmm. for it for better or for worse you know like that he even talks about this later about like maybe they should have taken some more time off before kind of going back into it but mm-hmm. you know it's still a great performance still great uh they really swept up the awards that night and um yeah really f- I, I remember the excitement behind that performance as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, some copies sold in France were bundled with the live in Chicago five song CD. Wish I had that. Uh, four months to write, six months to record. Um, and then he says that although I continue to write during the recording process, and he says that he liked the notion that we would create a wider scope in which to put other kinds of material we were writing. So yeah. Uh, the- <laughs> It says there's also counterfeit versions of the album, the LPs out there, especially if they're colored vinyl. So uh, buyer beware. Mm -hmm. This, I mean, Pat, like this, this album just puts them on another level. We'll talk about this when we get into the songs, but this album, you know, it puts them into, they're, they're rising to the greats of like Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd. And it's so ambitious and it, it got pulled off. And I just want to, one of our listeners uh, has a great theory, uh, Instagram user at Gumdrod, D-R-O-D, Gumdrod, uh, sent us this kind of theory, I guess you would say, about the that era of melancholy. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to kind of read some of those thoughts and kind of break it down for you and feel free to interject yeah. whenever you want. But 
So Gumdrod says, I realized that the Siamese Dream Tour, Lollapalooza 1994 specifically, fame, circumstances surrounding Billy's demeanor, lazy press, and interviewing is what changed the Smashing Pumpkins into the wonderful driven monster they became in the melancholy era. And he goes on to say, uh, something to hone in on is how the band looked, acted, and sounded at their Siamese Dream record release show at the Metro in 1993. Now, juxtapose that to the Pink Pop 1994 festival, which was just a year later, and it, it turns out to be a completely different band, one that has been in the MTV spotlight for two or so years. Spin referred to it as peak era pumpkins, Apparently, that has an effect on how you present your music after receiving reviews and criticism from your peers. Here's some quick uh, quotes from their peers. Kim Deal from The Breeders and uh, from The Pixies. I want the pill he has, the one that makes him feel so fucking important. Steve Albini says, They are pandering sluts and are like Ario Speedwagon. Insignificant. And then, of course, the pavement song that, you know, Stephen Malcolm says, I don't know what they mean. I could really give a fuck. And uh, at that same year where they're headlining Lollapalooza, as most people know, Nirvana had to opt out of Lollapalooza because, you know, the passing of Kurt Cobain and uh, Pumpkins had to step up and, you know, fill that spot. And that was huge for them. But around that time, MTV had Billy Corgan interview the bands of Lollapalooza. And if you watch that, it's very uncomfortable. It's very awkward. And no one is really giving him the respect at all. And people no. just... he He's clearly annoying a lot of people. I mean, the one that we... I don't know if we've talked about that. Have you watched the one where he interviews Nick Cave? Yeah. Yeah. That one's weird. I love Nick Cave. They're, these guys, it's, it's, it's so weird watching it because it's like two artists who I've... I've next to the pumpkins, like Nick Cave in the back. It's almost like Nick Cave is like my adult at Smashing Pumpkins. Like I, I you know, it... it it was like before I was 16 the pumpkins hooked me and then like for, you know from 16 on I got into like Nick Cave but it's so funny watching Billy as this young kind of like kid sort of irritating this slightly older yeah. like you know badass man but see I'm like your typical American teenager and that's I'm saying that's the general understanding and that's why it, it has bands from are you? 27 you're not you're not a teenager I know I'm not a teenager no I'm saying the mentality you have the mentality of a teenager absolutely it's yeah it, and then him talking to Darcy is equally, I know it's it's so uncomfortable that's the thing he creates one of the greatest grunge masterpieces of our time and yet he still can't kind of get the respect and people are talking shit on it and he he gave his heart and soul and you know bled into this album and he's kind of being met with rolled eyes even though he accomplished something that Mm -hmm. was almost impossible to do and so then like he does does an interview in 1998 with zane lowe who just recently did the interview with him on apple music but he says so okay we're headlighting what becomes historically the biggest lollapalooza ever and there they are they're the same football players that used to bully us in the hallways. Every other band, in my estimation, and I don't mean to throw shade, this is the way I read it at the time because this is the mindset I, I was in. Everybody was cool with going along to get along because it was a wave, right? Let's just ride this wave, Corgan said. I looked at it as like, no, you're the enemy and we are here to take you on. And to this day, I still have people walk up to me at the airports going, man, I don't know what was that, that was about. There are people to this day, and again, I usually meet them at airports, who refuse to ever see the band or listen to the band after that show. You're talking about 43 shows. One was canceled due to rain. 40 
So 42 times I took the mic and went after that audience and the show that he's talking about um, is the, you know, the, the Lollapalooza shows like the last one, especially mm -hmm. or the Pink Pop 1994 show. But he was on a mission, you know, the, the kind of, you know, cheery, innocent type of Corgan is now gone. You know, he's here to conquer mm -hmm. the world. And they talk about a little bit in the 1995 MTV rockumentary uh, about recording melancholy that they felt like outsiders at Lollapalooza. And that just kind of drove him to, you know, uh, he, he says, Billy says, completely obliterate the fact that anyone else was even in the same league as us. So basically Billy just, you know, becomes competitive and wants to just take it to another level. And he just wants to destroy being like, you're not giving me the accolades that I deserve for creating a masterpiece. Well, guess what? Now I'm going to step it up even more. And he says later on, he's like, I enjoyed being right. You know, referring to his label and management being like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. This is, why would you do a double album? Because before that, you know, you have Guns N' Roses, I think in more recent time, uh, close to Melancholy, Guns N' Roses re uh, releasing Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. But they did those kind of separately. It's technically a double album, but they released them separately. Mm -hmm. And here Billy's like, no, I'm going to release this and it's going to cover all the dimensions of the pumpkins and then the decision to use flood and Alan Mulder and them being very uh, adamant about being like, you don't, you know, you're, you don't sound like your records. You mm -hmm. need the band to sound like the band. And that was the focus they had going into it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, thank you to uh, listener gum drawed for sending those thoughts because yeah, we definitely agree. It's, it's a great theory because it's just like, he's just, he wanted to conquer, you mm -hmm. know, yeah, um, there was a. I just watched the Elton John um, Rocket Man movie like a week or so ago, which was I. I yeah, I really liked. It was surprisingly. I, I, yeah, I it's liked fun. It more than I expected, but there's a line in there about um, you need to kill the person you were born to be to become the person you want to be, and it feels like the the um, process of of like Siamese Dream to this is kind of that process. It's like Siamese Dream is like this this like using all focusing all your talent and energy to like blast off from the planet you were born on and to like try to burst into the stratosphere without like burning up on entry and this album truly like tonight tonight when tonight tonight hits it feels like that moment but um it's it's like they 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 did they like broke through earth's atmosphere on this this album and and ended up in space yeah, they leveled up big on this. Um, so uh, there's a lot more facts, but we, you know what? We just don't have the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and we'll we'll kind of pick and choose from the Billy Liner notes. Oh, we should give thanks to our resources, spfc.org, as always. Uh, always. spcodex.wiki. And uh, yeah, the Guitar World's 97 interview. Oh, and the liner notes to the reissue. Yeah, yeah. So Pat, what do you say? Yeah, let's do it. Let's dive in. So the first track off of Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness Disc 1, Dawn to Dusk, is Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. This one, I mean, it's an instrumental. It kicks off the album. And if you're a Pumpkins fan and... You heard 
Or even if you're not and you heard Bullet with Butterfly Wings, you pop this CD in and all of a sudden you hear this very beautiful instrumental. You're like, okay. But it definitely sets the tone for the rest of the album. Every time I hear it, it gives me warm feelings because I'm so familiar with it and how often I listen to it. And um, it's almost like I can look back those 25 years ago and see my life through the song mm-hmm. to now. Yeah. Uh, it's It's got that kind of power to it, and I, I love it. Oh, speaking of which, what good timing that these episodes are coming up because it is going to be the 25th anniversary yeah. of this album release. Yeah, it's it's wild. It's it, and it totally is a time machine. And I think I was like kind of naive enough about like music or again, I guess that's why this album hit me at the right time. Like I didn't bat an eye at this theatrical album with like a piano intro and like, you know, it it was sort of like I was just like my mind was open, my ears were open and I it this was like, you know, um, it made sense to me, you know, and I, I was just, I was just watching a video maybe you've seen of, I think it's from 1994 and it's, um, it's like Billy Corgan at home. Um, he's wearing kind of a Christmassy sweater and he's on his piano and he's, he's giving, I don't know what the interview was for exactly, but he, they're like, would you play something? And he's, he plays like an early version of, of this. Um, and it's just right. really cool to see him working out the gears turning. Like clearly he's got this, this ambitious idea because he refers to it as sort of like, you know, the theme music of the album, which it is, it opens and, and, you know, comes back at the, at the tail end of the album. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's amazing. And yeah. it's it seeing, see, it seeing this young Billy still has hair, you know, like, kind of tinkling with with what what is it's such a monolithic album that it's which is why i like the rough sketches for the artwork too and the reissue it's almost until recently it's almost been impossible for me to even think of it as like in a work in progress stage you know what i mean yeah well the what you're referring to are the 666 tapes Okay, I'm listening. Yeah. Hail Satan. So, yeah, they. this was uh, footage that was shot... See, now I'm not going to have this fact right because I'm not entirely sure. I think it was MTV filming stuff. And so they were at the studio for a couple of days recording uh, Billy and interviewing Flood and Alan Mulder and getting footage of them working in a studio. And if you look it up on YouTube, you can see these 666 tapes and it's them working out the songs, basically how they recorded the album with them working out, like just jamming Mm -hmm. uh, and like working through their notes. And you can see like they have little music stands and it has different, you know, scribblings and stuff. And it's really cool to watch them go through these songs. There's a lot of cool songs and even some B-sides that didn't make the album of them just kind of working through it because that's how they recorded the album was... Uh, rather than kind of having Billy control everything and they wait around to do this or that. Sometimes Billy would work with Flood in another room uh, on a song while Alan Mulder was working with uh, 
James and Darcy in another room on some other parts. So it was definitely more of a collaborative effort and they were getting more done and it was more of a live uh, capturing of it because only in post did they start adding in uh, via Pro Tools. At that time, it was kind of still new, uh, the, the layering and stuff. But for the most part, it's all recorded live. So what you're getting is the band, which mm -hmm. I really love about this album. So this probably is the only true representation of the band and what they sound like. Right. It's the full band. Yeah, because on Adore, it wasn't really the case with the recording so much. We'll do, we don't have time to talk about Adore right now, for crying out loud. But yeah, and, and I, that's like that's another thing I, I love so much about it. And, and it's, it's, it's like um, Billy set such an ambitious goal for himself that he, there simply wasn't the time for him to be a control freak about every... For him to control and record every single aspect of it, which resulted in like you said, the band actually performing as the band, which which is is very cool. And I it uh, listening to it now, I definitely hear how it does capture the band more similar to how they would sound live than the sort of like super shiny production of Siamese Dream. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this track in particular, Melancholy and Infinite Sadness, I think it's a great opener. And uh, the use of the mel Mellotron is back, mm -hmm. um, which kind of harkens back to the track that they did for Siamese Dream that kind of influences of if Infinite Sadness. <laughs> think it's a perfect way to kick off the album even though tonight tonight would have been great just to have on its own i think i like it it's just kind well, of a little thesis to what yeah, you're about to hear and the what what i thought of it a little metaphor i thought of it as was like this is like this this is this little track is like the winding up of the music box like the antique music box and then tonight tonight is like letting it rip like it's like you know <laughs> that it is tonight tonight is kind of the true opener but it wouldn't be the same without this sort of like um it's like the music before the movie starts or something you know it's it's agreed yeah um but that brings us to the next track which you may have heard of it tonight tonight Tonight, tonight. So this is one of the earliest tracks that was written uh, a little bit after or during the Siamese Dream era. And I mean, we've talked about this track before. We both had it on our pandemic mixes. Mm -hmm. And just to kind of reiterate, you know, it, it's a song that brings me hope. It's one of my favorite pumpkin song. If that makes me basic, so what? Uh, I used it in my wedding. Um, it, it just means so much to me. You know, the, I was re-listening to it and it still makes me feel the same things. Uh, its scope is so grand and the video matches it. You know, who, I guess, like, who is writing a song like this? Mm -hmm. At this time, 
And that's just more proof that it's just like, it's just another league. No yeah. one is writing a song like this with this kind of uh, production, this kind of arrangement. It's just on another level. Mm-hmm. And just the, the, the phrase, believe in me, is such a strong sa- statement. Mm-hmm. You know, the production is perfect. It's You know what I noticed this listen uh, is it's almost new wave. But because of the way it's mixed, uh, it separates from it. But if you listen to the yeah. clean guitars, it's very new wavy. Uh, Billy's clean guitar on the track. If you just listen to that clean guitar, any other band would have kind of done a, a it would have been kind of pedestrian. Mm-hmm. I, I hate using that word. It sounds so uh, pretentious, but like it's just so. The way the arrangement and everything about that production just elevates the song to another level. But if you just listen to the guitar part, it kind of has a new wavy. Mm-hmm. I've never uh, thought that, strum. but I can I can understand that, and it like almost like a psychedelic furs kind of vibe or something. Or it's just got that like you know like a little bit of the 1979 you know kind of grooved. I don't know. It just sounds kind of like new wavy, jangly. Mm-hmm. You know, like that the the way that he's strumming the guitar. I wish I could vocalize this better but uh, next time you listen to it listen to Billy's clean guitar through the song and even just like the main picking part kind of if you if you were to give it you know some thought it kind of does sound like that but again because of the arrangement because of the production it takes it to a whole nother level yeah in the way it's arranged it, it it's um it really presents as a song that has existed forever or something you know it's like it's 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 crazy that this it is like one of the hugest songs and videos of the 1990s because it's visually the video is like a nod to you know one of the early films you know the trip to the moon film but i watched uh and he mentions this in the liner notes i watched a video from 2012 of him of billy on howard stern playing this song acoustic and talking about the song and he he mentioned as he does in the liner notes a cheap trick influence which i i'm not well i only know a couple cheap trick songs that are just kind of before my time and i i'm not well versed in their stuff but it's it's mm-hmm. so hard to even um think of this song like you said like that that the new wave thing like it all makes sense but it's distilled into something that is just so singular it's almost it's impossible to like fully attach it to any context you know certainly grunge you know it's like exactly like it's the feels like the furthest thing from what you would call grunge which is probably you know like yeah well what i love about this is that you're right exactly it's like during the era of grunge and we're getting out of we're starting to get into the the crest, you know, the the hill. We're kind of coming down the hill of grunge, mm-hmm. and we're starting to get into a new territory of grunge of like your your bush, you know, uh, your collective souls, you know, that kind of, you know, uh, for for better garbage, mm-hmm. you know, like that the first garbage album, like the sound of that, and I I'm a huge fan of that, but like nobody's doing this on this scale, but. At this era of grunge, of like Silverchair and stuff like, and I like Silverchair, but there's just a certain pedigree of music that's pretty straightforward and pretty 
the post grunge sound, mm-hmm. and they're doing this. Yeah, it was grunge was become and, and believe me, like I was not discerning enough as I was down for Silverchair, I was down for Bush. Oh yeah, I liked Collective Soul. I'm not throwing shade at that at all. Yeah. I was totally into it. But yeah. they were doing what had been. They, it was now possible to do sort of a, a capital G like grunge genre sound like it what had been yeah. a bunch of kind of underground like bands that broke big and it, like from their respective scenes was now becoming like a, a, a sound you could replicate and it would do well because it was like popular sound and young kids like us were eating it up but they yeah they, <laughs> they like like you mentioned them it's really like they took the the pumpkins like so Kurt Cobain died Kurt Cobain um, they took over at Lollapalooza that's like a how much more of a symbolic passing of the torch as like the biggest band you know of the 90s yeah. than that and and Kurt Cobain dying was like obviously like a sort of death of a movement of a moment of like a certain like innocence of this this sound and clearly you know Billy is like and, and and even in the like zero persona which i now kind of understand we'll talk about and i now kind of get more he was sort of like playing with the like you know gloom of the era and like oh yeah how it sells and and, and but anyway the, to, to take a turn in this direction and this really kind of hopeful like glorious song and he does say that it's like in this Howard Stern interview that it's hopeful on the surface, but there's like a darkness there, which to be honest, I I'll have, I'm going to have to like listen for, because like you, I, I, you know, I think of it as I take it at face value at, at, at as this <laughs> right. like really uplifting song, but that's okay. I mean, that's why prob- I'm sure more people connected with it over that than, than any like subliminal darkness there. But um, yeah, yeah. Just can't say enough good things about this song. Well, what's funny about what you just said, Pat, about like the passing of the torch, you're, I think you're on the money with that because Nirvana is now, unfortunately, because of the passing of Kurt, and then you have Pearl Jam stepping away. Mm-hmm. They're, they're like, we can't, we don't like this attention, we don't like this, so they're getting weirder with their albums, they're getting more experimental and kind of pushing more of the mainstream audience away and being like, fans, if you still love us, you stay with us. Mm-hmm. But they're not pushing themselves. They're, they're not doing videos. They're fighting Ticketmaster. They're saying like, no, we don't want to be a part of the spotlight that Nirvana was part of because mm-hmm. we just don't. That's not us. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Pumpkins are running towards it. Leaning <laughs> into know? it. And yeah. that's, that's not bad. That's not saying anything. Like, it's not a sellout thing. It's just... Again, kind of going into the the psyche of Corgan during that time of just being like, I just made a masterpiece and you're not going to give it up. Well, fuck you. Here, mm-hmm. here's this uh, epic, this you know, like this huge yeah. undertaking, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be right, and it's, I'm gonna, we're going to be the biggest band in the world. And maybe afterwards, the whirlwind of that was a little bit more than uh, he probably wanted, but you know, they they ran towards it, you know, and they they gladly took that mantle to be the biggest band in the world at that time definitely yeah this had nothing to do with sort of an aw shucks like get the camera away from me like mentality you know like this was this was the opposite of that and i think it like you know it was the natural because because that had been that attitude and that vibe like had been so commodified like it was in Budweiser commercials like it was like a product that was easy to reproduce and sell this like 
teen grunge attitude. It was kind of nothing. Like it was like applied to a bunch of bands. It kind of didn't mean anything anymore. So yeah, the, Billy's playing in he's 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 playing in a big big sandbox on, on purpose here, and I think it's like and not in a sellout way, in a way where he was like going toward like artistic, um, like really fertile ground that could kind of only exist on like a really big scale for whatever that's worth, you know, like kind of proving that you can, um, I guess that's why he likes wrestling. You know, it's like a big show, a big crazy show. It it, like, there's nothing modest. Yeah. With characters, with like looks, with like feathered headdresses, like it, 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 (laughs) people like that and, and and there's there's value in that so anyway that yeah. yeah this this song is just sort of i think it's like the centerpiece of the album when you look at the album as an audio visual experience you know Absolutely. it's kind of like the video is melancholy the video kind of but yeah um, so yeah just to not to harp on this song too much but i do think it is it is it is that it's like it, a good shorthand for the whole project yeah billy said that it's probably the most exciting recording experience he's ever had uh, because of the 40-piece orchestra and all that stuff. I, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's there on the track. You can almost hear the uh, hope, you know, the, the excitement in how grand it is. The ending is epic. It's cinematic. It's gorgeous. It's grandiose. Yeah. Get your buttered popcorn and black licorice uh, candies ready because the next song is Jelly Belly. doing like a jelly bean thing there i guess that was kind of a stretch but hey look look they can't all be winners guys you know jelly belly (laughs) so this was uh intended for a moment to be the first single and the original riff dates back to 1992 where we'd spasmodically play this is billy talking some concoction of this song if there was nothing else to jam jam on in a third encore so um, yeah, it's 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 uh, you know it had been it had been out in the world in in a certain form, which I think a lot of their songs kind of had been like live jams before they actually you know found a home on uh, right on an album. Supposedly, Billy kind of writes a lot of jams and stuff. He just kind of has a, a bank of jams, and then when he's writing a song, he'll kind of pick and choose from different elements that kind of uh, mesh together mm-hmm. to make a full song, and he'll kind of adapt from here or there. We're, we're, there's another song later on we'll talk about, which is a riff that showed up in an early demo that then kind of became part of the main song. But this one in particular, 
uh, fans, hardcore fans who were doing tape trading and stuff of demos that leaked out uh, back in the early 90s. There was a track called Jelly Belly, but it is not the same track as this one that ended up on the album. Uh, Pat, I don't know about you, but to me, this feels like, you know, welcome to the show. This could easily, as Billy said, he wanted it to be the first single because it kind of felt like a, it could start any third Pumpkins album because mm-hmm. it still has that sound, but still moves forward. And uh, to me, it almost feels like with the position of it on the album, it almost feels like this album's quiet, mm-hmm. um, where some people think quiet is a little bit of filler and kind of like whatever. Um, I I don't feel that way about this song, but it does feel a little bit like, okay, yeah, this is a great song, but it's not like, it's probably not one of my favorites on the album, even though I very much enjoy it. It's probably like on the lower tier for me, uh, but I still enjoy the hell out of it. Yeah, it was always like, um, there's like, the, you know, and this doesn't, this, I don't just mean singles here, but there were always sort of like keystone songs on the album. And then other songs that were sort of just like being washed in the sea of melancholy. And this was one of those toward the like, you know, heavier side, obviously. But I I do, um, I do really like the song and it's a far cry. Like it's, it, it, it's the first kind of taste of the sort of, um, not schizophrenic because it's very, I think it's cohesive, but the sort of like, um, polar extremes of like kind of, um, uh, message and like like emotion on the album because obviously we've got these very sort of like pretty soaring you know the like two piece intro of, of that is the title track and and tonight's night and living makes me sick so sick I wish I'd die is is sort of a far cry lyrically from the impossible is possible tonight but yeah. I, I will say this song even does take a turn. It takes kind of a more hopeful turn, and and I, I love the yeah. um, the build that that it it um, you know it does become kind of a little uplifting, um, you know, to the, the build of uh, to make yourself feel better. You make it so you never. I love that part. It's great. It's it's. There's a couple moments. There's several moments like that. Um, uh, you know, I've said before, I'm I'm a sucker for a, a good build, and this this, um, yeah, this just pulls you into like that side of what this album can do. So I, I agree. It was never a standout completely for me, but I, I do really like it. Same. Yeah, I think Jimmy's drums are phenomenal on this, and I think that this gives. There, I also got a Pisces flavor to that bridge, that one that mm-hmm. you were talking about. It kind of listening really again the the day before we record the night before we record these i usually put headphones in uninterrupted listen to it very closely and loud and i Mm -hmm. just pick up so many great things and i think like i got a little bit of pisces flavor in that bridge there 
uh, and the way that it circles back is so good. And the mix on the heaviness, I think, is the palette. Like, it sets the palette for the ocean size type of uh, production and rock. Mm-hmm. You know, how they a- approach the production element of very heavy tunes on this album. I use the term ocean size because that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. Listening to it, it's just, just vast and huge, and it's got weight to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sets the palette for the rock that you're going to hear throughout the album like the heavier stuff like that kind of it sets it kind of sets the tone for mm-hmm. you to be like hey get ready because we're gonna have more of this later on yeah it is like kind of a it's like you, you can't wait any longer to get a song like this on this album to, to let right. people know the scope of, of what you're about to see and hear and now thinking now talking about this it's kind of funny because the first three tracks of this album are almost like warming you up for what you're going to hear for the rest of it mm-hmm yeah, it's, it's getting you ready. It's 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 the foreplay to the album. It know? kind of is. Yeah, it gives you a little taste of, of everything. Yeah, and then zero is kind of, uh, you know, well, should we uh, should we dive into it? The, the yeah. next song is not three, not two, not one, but zero. Zero, this was like the rocket for me, as in that it was my favorite single from the album, and it didn't, I was kind of frustrated it wasn't a bigger hit. Um, I mean, it was a big hit, but I remember it didn't get as much MTV play, I think probably because the video was a lot weirder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think like people didn't play it as much on the radio, at least in the Dallas market, it wasn't played as much as the other singles were. Um, and it kind of frustrated me because that that song zero to thirteen year old Frank, you know, just oh, it uh, pardon the pun zeroed right into my hey, hey I'll angst. allow it. You know, I'll allow it. Yeah, dude, <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> you fuck yeah, dude. I, I yeah, but I, I, it's like, and I've no. I, this is something that listening to this now, this album and this song, I could see that that like. As opposed to when I was a kid, when it came out, there is a sarcasm there. There is sort of a winking. There's sort of a character that, like, like this is one of the first songs on, like, or, or one of the songs on the album, and he does it a couple times where Billy takes on sort of um, like a like a sarcastic snarl, like sort of a, a heavy, like almost like mocking his own voice, kind of like heavy whine um, sound, and it's it. I can understand in retrospect how um, this was a character you know this this song protagonist was or, or singer was kind of like a character sort of making fun of or playing with or you know subverting or, or something the heavy gloom of 90s rock kind of what we were just talking about while yeah. also doing it really well themselves and for me I was sort of like face value this this rule you know i was not (laughs) picking up on any of that and i really only have because billy is billy has mentioned over the years that the like zero character um even being like 
the zero character even sort of living in it not just on this album you know like i mean it's his like it's his bowie you know it's his yeah you know uh ziggy stardust it's his thin white duke you know mm-hmm. it's all it's a it's a persona that was tongue-in-cheek for the moment because at that time in the early 90s you have the loser phenomenon you right. know like the you know you know we're gen x slacker you know who gives a shit type of thing and then mm-hmm. billy's in a in a very satirical and fun theatric way is adopting this persona to be you know like a superhero for mm-hmm. the gen x you know clinton era whatever you know years mm-hmm. <laughs> it just feels like he's he's superman Right. of that grunge era and distilling it down kind of into a shirt this singular iconic shirt oh my that God, you could that literally shirt. sell you know what i mean like if this yes. is a commentary on like the 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 commodification of like grunge like angst you know yep like um first of all i was <laughs> bought it hook line and sinker you know Me but too. second of all it is pretty like i, I gotta give it up because sometimes it, as we've discussed like billy will be like well, I was just sort of, that was a joke or like whatever. And, and I'll be like, well, I didn't take it that way. But I do kind of get it now. And it's something <laughs> with the 25 years that it, it's only now that I, I can kind of like appreciate it. But I, I do get it. That's one of those moments where you're like, you find out someone's like, oh, yeah, no, I was totally doing that as a, as a joke. And you bought it, bought into it so hard. And you're like, oh, yeah, no, totally, totally. Yeah, you're trying yeah, to play no, it off. I get, I, yeah, yeah, no, I got it. Yeah, I totally. I was, satirical. I was yeah. just trying to like do it with you. You know, I was yeah, like, yeah, I got it. I was trying to. I mean, my, I was in with it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was. <laughs> oh, it was so funny. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. So good. So good. Oh, um, it's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> I, I, I owned. I think five zero shirts because I wore them so often and I would ruin them or wear them out. I, I, <laughs> I had so many different. Also, I had the worst luck with my zero shirts because the printing, I remember two of them I had to rebuy because the, the printing on the chest was off. Oh, really? Like a little like bit. Off, yeah. Like sideways or off kilter. Yeah. It was like kind of not, not balanced. Like there was a couple of prints that were like, I wonder listeners, if you had this problem too, Please let me know. I hope it wasn't just <laughs> maybe they self-destructed. So you had to maybe it's like iPhones or something like they were. Yeah, like, yeah. Every every two years you have to buy a new zero shirt. I mean, now you can buy a million different zero products on the website, uh, which I try to buy a zero cap. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a giant head, it does not fit. Right. But, we both do. We both have big domes. Yeah, did you, do you still have the hat? You, were you able to return it? or did you... I was. That's the, that's a great thing about that store is they, uh, they were very nice about me returning the hat uh, and giving me my money back, even though I asked for store credit. But it's probably better I get that money back. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Put it towards uh, Melancholy Golf Sure. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, man. All those items on that Huff 25th anniversary. Just, well, uh, speaking of... Um, skateboarding apparel that's what the zero shirt was it was yeah uh, it was it began as you know zero but and that kind of i remember that can confusing me a little bit because i did kind of <laughs> right got into skateboarding and melancholy around the same time but i became aware of like zero brand skateboards and there were like similar shirts but that I must have pissed like, them off well, I think he like bought the rights to it or something. I remember reading shit. about this once, but I think it, it became he he wore the shirt on tour, but then eventually was like, you know, like made it official and like bought the the rights or something, you know, something where yeah. he was able to reproduce and sell them. But 
anyway his shirt too is no joke it's like embroidered like it's very mm -hmm. uh if you look at it closely it's it's a very high design yeah it's like shiny. i'm sure he had like a million of them yes i think yes like superman you know just a closet <laughs> exactly um, yeah superman has various like he doesn't just have one you think he's gonna fight you know crime and save the world with just one superman suit no, no that thing would stink you gotta go to the laundromat once in a while you know yeah, even Superman uses a laundromat. So uh, back to the song itself. Uh, I listening back to this. Uh, there's like a hissy, raspy phaser sound that's kind of mixed down a little low. It almost sounds like locust. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, Billy is a professed uh, Eddie Van Halen, you know, Van Halen fan, and the guitar solo in this very much shows that kind of Eddie Van Halen, you know, string mm -hmm. scratch into controlled chaos and how layered it sounds. Oh, that's another thing too. After the solo, when it comes back into the guitars, how it's layered, it's so thick. so great it sounds makes it sound huge and it builds up and releases it's the perfect outro into the song or out of the song and i think it's uh really fantastic cyber metal is what they call it that's the, the term that they coined mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to my guitar teacher as we talked about in the pisces episode where he called it uh acid metal cyber metal that's like so if, if you're disillusioned with where so-called grunge is going you know here comes cyber Here comes metal. Cyber metal, you know. I mean, Billy Idol was ahead of the curve on that one. His yeah. album Cyberpunk. He was trying to do it back then. You know, <laughs> you put it into your Windows ninety five and it plays some clips. You know, he tried. He tried. He tried to tell us. But he was another, too. It was too soon. Too soon. Another Billy making a valiant effort towards cyber metal. But um, <laughs> right. sorry, another Billy scooped you on that, Billy. We love you, Billy, baby, Billy. You think you weren't gonna hear from me, uh, Mark Ignafo? Hey, Billy. I know that you're into the cyber metal now, but just hear me out. How about a nice long organ solo, baby, Billy? Take these pills. We open and close the album on a nice organ solo. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> you know he had to make it, make it rear his ugly head, his beautiful head. He had to. Um, yeah, the, it's it's a great song, and it's a it's a you know a statement, an anti-statement. It's um, you know it's it's uh, it's zero. What, what else can we say? I have zero else to say about it. Same. So. Um, I'm all about the confusing phrasing, and uh, things fall out of my mouth in a weird way. So that's only fitting that our next track is Here Is No Why. Now here's no why is it, it but no 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 is here why? why no is here why it was originally titled no is here why no mm -hmm. um 
I never really got the title. I, I guess I, I, you know, probably for that reason. It's a little, a little confusing, right. but uh, you know. Well, you know the history behind where the name came from, right? No, I don't. Okay, well, see, there's there's two different interpretations that have been said publicly, and one is in the the liner notes where um, it says the song's title is reminiscent of Primo Le- Levi's or Levy's uh, Auschwitz memoir, where in response to the protagonist asking uh, why, a guard responds, "There is no why here," hmm, okay. and. Then another one said, like, the title actually came from a tragedy and atrocity of equal proportion of that of Auschwitz. And uh, Corgan explains in his 2012 reissue liner notes, uh, the title was appropriated from an article I'd read on the anniversary of the world's first nuclear attacks. A survivor in surveying a legacy of near total devastation had remarked in broken English, here is no why. So the title was appropriated from that article and he was looking at the twisted remnants uh, of his own childhood memories and felt a similar sense of loss amidst his confusion. Um, and to hide some of the sorrow, he says, I couch some of those thoughts in this glammed up tart that rings neither happy nor sad. So I, I have a little bit of issue with that, <laughs> mm. um, of kind of equating, I, I get it, I, you know, interpretation and stuff, but... That's kind of hard to equate that personal feeling of tragedy to one of the worst tragedies it's of a big, big human history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's a bit problematic for me. That aside, title aside, this <laughs> this song is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we've talked about before, I'm a big T Rex uh, Bowie fan. I love glam rock. You know. Uh, we talked about Mark Bolin on this program before big Mark Bolin fan. And this to me feels like a nod. I mean, he even says T-Rex, but like, it does feel like a nod to that type of the, the, the sound of it, the lyrics, uh, it plays into, this is something to what we had talked about before, Pat Siamese dream was more about his childhood and melancholy kind of goes into the teenage, mm-hmm years early 20s mm-hmm. and he even said as much but uh it definitely again 13 year old frank these lyrics targeted right at me yeah definitely and i guess like if the point here it, it, yeah and he, he he describes at one point sort of wanting to like tie a bow around like his youth and like for once and for all kind of like put it away under the bed you know so if you're gonna i i agree the auschwitz thing is perhaps a little extreme it's it it's, but I guess if you're trying to capture how big and important like your feelings are as a youth, you know, like that that's that's the album is full of full of this. I guess the Siamese Dream is is also about that, but um, it this also has a little bit maybe there's like some tongue in or not tongue in cheek, but maybe there's some self-awareness there of of that analogy because I do think this is another track that has that thing I was describing before in Zero, where there's sort of like a, like a sarcasm, like a sort of disgusted, sort of like vomitous quality to Billy's <laughs> right. snarl throughout this song, and and it pops up again and again throughout the album. And it's a it's a it's a like gear of his singing style that was not present um, before this album, and kind of yeah. not really since. Like even yeah, the even vitriol in, is there. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't I, I, you know I can't really 
think of another album where he he kind of went there um, quite the Maybe same. Maybe a little bit of Machina. But That's what yeah. I was thinking. Like the Machina, it feels like it's got sort of analog, like um, companions to, to Melancholy on it. But maybe some of Zeitgeist, but not really. Right. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, it's it's. Um, yeah, there's like a tantrum equality, which again, like when 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 you're a child, when you're a kid, it's like it all just hits, you know. So to your point, with you know when he sings, you know, like that snarl exactly is what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. And I assume he's kind of referring to himself as the king of gloom in, in, in this, but um, well, the Death Rock boy—he's actually referred to himself as that in the reissue liner notes. Yeah, that I, I even I could tell that that was you know he was talking about himself a Death yeah. a Death Rock boy, and I was becoming a Death Rock boy in in this. Uh, I never was a huge huge. I, I like a lot of or I like metal, and I, but I have sort of a. My my relationship to metal is sort of like my relationship to like video games. Like I lo- I have deep <laughs> deep love and appreciation for for them, but my yeah. my knowledge kind of stops like several decades ago, you know. And, and oh I, yeah, I, yeah, I'm very basic about it. But um, this was this album. I listened to it so much, and there's so much of a metal kind of vein in this that this is like kind of the metal like. I'm sure a lot of people would take issue with anyone saying that, calling this a metal album, but um, it is, it is like it, there are metal it's there. elements. It's, it's not in this song, but it's definitely in the others. We'll get to we'll get yeah. to one of them later. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that uh, I mean, just the lyrics are so evocative. Just like terms like "sad machines," you know, um, uh, pulls his hair down over a frowning smile. You know, a hidden diamond you cannot find. Like there are just so many great. Mm-hmm. Just evocative lyrics in this that play right into what you were saying about like that kind of misanthropic teenage angst. Mm-hmm. Um, the breakdown is great. It's so good when it goes into the solo after that. I absolutely my favorite part of the song is when it gets into that if you're giving in then you're giving up yeah, that part is so that's my favorite part of the song I think but I, I love it again like I'm a big uh, glam rock you know Bowie T-Rex fan and this fits right in comfortably but it's it's the pumpkins doing that Mm -hmm. it's kind of like with frail and bedazzled yes yes all right speaking of uh speaking of bedazzling what better way to uh, adorn your outfit than with a bunch of bullets with butterfly wings oh boy bullet with butterfly wings
Pat, are you okay? You didn't stretch before that reach. Yeah, yeah, no, I pulled. I definitely <laughs> pulled something. That's for um, sure. man. You know this. This was the first single to come out after Siamese and Pisces to be like pumpkins have new music out, and here's the first track from that. And immediately it sounds nothing like what they've done before, and it's got this bite to it. It's got mm-hmm. this anger, and I think that that again is a good indicator of what our listener said earlier of being like okay you didn't give it up for me well fuck you here's a a a song about spite and anger and i'm gonna it has one of the most iconic lines this is probably the most well-known pumpkin song by by people who don't even like the pumpkins or know about the pumpkins Mm -hmm. if you say despite all my rage i'm just i'm still just a rat in the cage Mm -hmm. people who don't even probably know the band know that phrase lyrically i would say this is the, the yes it's it's like the most rec it's gotta be yeah because i feel like it's like I, you you people would be able to finish that rhyme you know and they wouldn't the beginning of the song why. itself too right the yeah. world is a vampire yeah that's true that's definitely what true. a declaration for your first single too mm-hmm. man yeah it, it it's it's uh it was tap it was like talk about zeitgeisty like it was tapping into it's, yeah it's crazy when you think of this in tonight tonight as like two of the big singles off of this album which had many singles like it, it, it it's wild the the span at the they're both huge songs in the same year or two year period um but yeah in the video like it's funny too i was watching a video of um it was one of the, like, it was on YouTube. I think it's Pumpkin's Best Moments. It's just a sort of, you know, pastiche of, like, different clips. But it was then on, on set. The band all dolled up, which is funny to, like, to watch the band on the set for that video in the context of, like, the industry, like, Video Village and stuff. And, like, you know, right. the, the, the makeup in, like, daylight, not, like... Um, camera lighting you know like darcy <laughs> yeah. looked much more like halloween costumey than like how i remember her in the video looking like cool uh, you know like yeah like legitimately like badass you know but um they're kind of joking about like the all the people who showed up to be extra yeah from and, the radio thing yeah the radio now to roll around in mud all day and it's like uh yeah and, and billy says like um I weep for the, you know, for the, this is one of the many things that makes me like, you know, scared for the, you know, the youth today or, so, you know, the future of, of whatever, something like, so it's like, it's both selling, it's, it's both doing this, this heavy gloom thing, but kind of like intentionally peddling it, like, but to great, you know, it's also just like, like songs don't become lyrics of songs don't become like deeply embedded in the public consciousness unless it's like a a, a great song you know like even if you hate this song it's like great song just in terms of like it's a massive song it's an iconic song you know it's the introduction of the zero persona too Mm -hmm. yeah yeah immediately you're like this isn't the old pumpkins that you knew the sound is different the look is different it's just all around it's a declaration Mm -hmm. you know and i think what's funny about the hey if anybody out there listening was part of this video shoot which i heard so many i mean those poor kids were out in the desert and they 
I can't imagine. I love the pumpkins, but I can't imagine uh, braving that out in the desert. Yeah, uh, man. But, I've been. In, I've done some extra work in my day, like for long, like right. long days, and I've ne- like it's 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 not it's not the best. And I've never certainly never had to be caked in <laughs> caked in mud all day. Yeah, not all day. You know, six you know six hours at a time, maybe, but not all day. But if you're listening and you were part of that video shoot, if you were one of the extras, uh, let us know. Yeah, we'd, we'd love like, to talk to we'd you. We'd like to hear about that experience. Again, this like in, in the same vein as Zero, this like hooked me at face value. I was just it, this is like a time machine for me too. That thinking about this video where I was, like what what I was going through in my life, I think I had some y- youthful um, angst to spare, and. Yeah, it, it just it, it just hurdles me. It just hurdles me back in time. Forgot to mention in Zero, but this song and Zero were the ones that my mom. It caused pause with my mom to kind of be like, "What's this about?" Because mm-hmm. you know we're Catholic family, Catholic mom. You know her saying like, "What's what's this? Uh, Jesus was an only son thing." And then God is empty. She really didn't like that. God is empty, just like me. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah, this is one, like, it, yeah, if this came on the radio, um, and I'm, like, it, driving with my mom, I definitely, like, the, I, could, I would feel tense, you know, it's like, I'm not going to change it, are you kidding me, but I, I, um, yeah, the tension was there. I, you know what else I love about this song is the closeness of how it feels when he starts singing in that second verse, you know, that mm-hmm. what do you got, you know, like, especially how he sings that line. Oh. What do you got? Yeah. Yeah, like that that's I guess what I mean about like the metal thing. Like his his vocal like he bursts in like this is the, oh man, the roar, the deep guttural like somewhere between like monster and like banshee roar that he belts into every every once in a while uh, on this like it, each one of those just goes such a long way. Um and it, that is a thing that I miss about Billy's voice nowadays like i right. I, I don't th- you know like he maybe he just screamed all of the, I, I think you just can't do that forever <laughs> like you definitely can't you know yeah. um even james hetfield you know from metallica like he can't do some of that now i mean they still sound great live but like you know you get older those those things become harder to you know pull off and your voice needs a break or it needs some but i i will say though uh i mean maybe this is getting off topic on topic uh but uh this also was what you were talking about pat before about like the loose phrasing mm-hmm. he plays around with the phrasing and his singing so much in this song yeah that it kind of lends people to be like okay you know that controlled pumpkins that you knew before mm-hmm. well this is going to be kind of controlled chaos but he's kind of giving it a little bit of a wink and a you know he's a little bit looser with it but still so controlled yeah and there is even yeah there's like a as as heavy and serious as this song seemingly is there's like a kind of like cocky swagger to it too you know it's like there's a fun vibe to it too we talked about that like like i i didn't know what he was saying at that point and it didn't matter it was like i I used to hear like i've been a bonnet and i'm like (laughs) <laughs> but can you think it you know it, it, it's yeah it, it's like um 
it just is a roller coaster of vocal stylings and and loud, quiet, loud, and um, yeah, yeah, that dynamic is really great because like I love the solo guitar, like the dirty sound at the end when he's just singing, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just him and the guitar, and then James comes in with the little like you know complimentary mm-hmm. uh, leads on that, and then it just roars back in, and then the tasteful use of the wah pedal, mm-hmm. a wah pedal. <laughs> you know, like you're just wow, not really wow, hearing wow, that. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, it's yeah, and it works so well. Yeah, that that um, without even knowing that's what I was hearing. That like wah pedal sound like really hooked me in the chest too. There's not to keep talking about Howard Stern, but it is a good. He, Billy and the band have been on. A hey, lot. Billy, Billy, what, what are you doing when you wrote that song? Billy, bullet with butterfly wings. When did you come up with that riff? That is the greatest, despite all my rage, I am still a rat in a cage. It's so funny, too, because, like, depending on who, what, like, state the pumpkins are in, Howard will kind of, which is what makes him a good interviewer who gets a lot of information out of people. He'll kind of pile on, like, what what was Darcy's problem? And why couldn't these guys get a clue? Yeah, exactly. Like, if, you know. You must have banged a lot of chicks back then, huh, Billy? But they do, they play, it's from uh, recently, it's two years ago, they're they're playing, um, maybe they play other stuff, but they, they, this clip, they play Bullet with Butterfly Wings at, at um, Howard's request, the full band, and then he kind of like is talking to Billy and James and they kind of break down, they, it's cool, they, they, they isolate their guitar parts and kind of explain how... Um, Howard puts it that the guitars are like harmonizing. And what's the theory there? You guys are harmonizing with the guitars, sort right? Of. And James, what would you do? You you say to Billy, "Hey, if you're playing that, I'll play up here." I I don't remember how we why I'm playing it differently than you I don't are. know why Billy couldn't <laughs> get along with you. You seem like a mellow dude, man. <laughs> you don't remember anything. It's great. <laughs> but it's cool to see them sort of he and James um, break down the uh, the guitar parts. Yeah, this, I mean, this was another riff that was written during the Siamese Dream Era, and I believe it's one of the first songs they played live before uh, uh, Melancholy, but during the Siamese Dream, like at the end of the Siamese Dream cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great song, love it, iconic, good stuff. Yep. All right, the next song is To Forgive. did i feel this one me too man <laughs> this totally. again like zeroed right into that 13 year old uh just hopelessness mm-hmm. that i was feeling at that time i love how sparse it is listening again like on with headphones just like really really listening it's amazing how as this song progresses the stuff that gets added on mm-hmm. as it goes on it's yeah. something i never really noticed before but if you really listen closely you don't even have to really listen closely but you notice like each time there's a new layer, there's a new sound, there's mm-hmm. something else, and then it gets brought back down and then brought back in. 
Yeah, it's it's man, I I this is like a really visceral sense memory song for me off this album. And it, it honestly it, it it makes me sad to think about how much I connected with this song at such a me young too, age. Yeah. You know, it's like kinda it's a little sad. Um but because of that, I think it was because it was so heavy, like I would I think I would sometimes skip it or only listen to like the first half because I just couldn't right now. And I mean this not yeah. not as a kid but even like in the years since. You more as a, like an adult, I think. But then when you do listen to the whole thing, it pays off with those layers you're talking about. Like you know, it, it, it's because in your memory it's almost like okay, this is a very stripped down just acoustic one, but there are a lot of elements that kind of um, build up before he brings it back down again. Like if you stick it out to about not stick it out, but you know what I mean. Like cry it out to about two, oh yeah two forty. There's the turn, and it does even have for as heavy and sort of um, like mournful and and you know sad as the song is. There is that turn where the str- there's like a healing feeling of the, this childhood pain a little bit for when those strings come in. I feel like. like an, uh, an upswing it's a key change that it takes yeah. i think it does uh that's probably something mm-hmm. for the discographers to break down but i think that um uh which you should listen to those episodes of melancholy uh again the discographers podcast we mentioned them on here before but they break down the music theory of all the pumpkins albums uh but yeah i think that key change that happens also there's a really cool uh it sounds like a pan flute but it's a distorted synth part mm-hmm. That to me signals to the kind of sound that you would hear on a door. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the blank page type of, you know, like the, it, it's got that distorted keyboard kind of sound that's mm-hmm. decaying that would also appear on Machina as well. Yeah. I think listening to it last night, I was like, oh, that's cool. There's, I I'm had a couple of moments it. like that on other tracks that I, I connected things to come, sounds of things to come that I hadn't really thought about before listening to this. It's there. There's there's yeah. several moments of that on, on this album. Right from the get-go, the tone, the guitar just sounds like it's aching because of how it rattles and mm-hmm. how it just kind of hums. And it just, uh, I love this song. And Jimmy, this is another example of how Jimmy's drumming is perfect because mm-hmm. it's so tasteful and so it complements the song so well. And it's not overbearing, but it's just got these tasteful kind of jazz flourishes to yeah. it that just elevate it to another level that's just like unreal. Yeah, this, yeah. This is where his like sort of like light touch brushes, maybe like jazz drummer like uh, abilities, really come into play. Like Heat Man, he's you know we, everybody knows how good of a drummer Jimmy is, but this like just talking about the range of sounds for this album as an album, that's a good example of like Jimmy's range. You know, he could be yeah. this like behemoth, like gorilla, like just pummeling the drums, or this this perfectly light. you know jazzy touch that is like exactly what the song needed and nothing more yeah everything complements so well because of how it's mixed and how it's brought in again like just kudos to you know flood and alan Mulder for just doing such a genius job on this this album like with the mix and like the mastering of it uh i think like 
I, the organ's nice. It has this kind of warily cold hopelessness to it, mm-hmm. and it, combined with the other stuff that's like the the arrangement are just. I, I also will say like the lyrics too, like you know, bastard son, just kind mm-hmm. of the way he sings that, and then empty party afternoons was what like really got me. We've uh, talked yeah. about it on the podcast Dude. before, but like how I had a birthday party that was planned where. There were it was at a roller rink and I had invited all these kids and only like two kids showed up and my mom was kind of upset about it. Yeah. And being like, Oh man, so when this song these lyrics really uh, hit a certain chord oh. with me. Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> that one in particular. Yeah, if you've had a weird birthday, like Yeah. 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 But this is another example of like, again, it, the same chords in the hands of another grunge or 90s band would have been completely, again, forgive the phrase, pedestrian. Mm-hmm. Like, I can imagine this, all the chords and all this kind of done with by another band of that era and it just being kind of like, eh, whatever. Which goes to Billy's voice again and just how unique it is, you know? It's like this androgynous kind of like, or, or can be, you know? Like, he definitely, there's more of like a heavy... I guess maybe you could say like his masculine side is more on display at moments or more extremely on display at moments throughout the song but this is like yeah. a good example of that sort of like like androgynous kind of like soft pretty um, snarly it's almost like a I don't know like a more it's like almost like Sinead O'Connor or something like I'm, I'm just not even this song but I'm just kind of generally comparing right. the two of them which is maybe an easy comparison like visually speaking or something but um, anyway <laughs> yeah it's it's just that, like I, just to your point about like the same chords the same nuts and bolts in the hands of another band that in another singer that really touches on just what's unique about not only the band but Billy's voice especially yeah Love it. Love it. Um, kind of what you talked about, I would kind of skip this too, depending on how I'd feel. And Bullet too, because of how, how much it was overplayed. Mm-hmm. So in future listens, sometimes I would be like, I'm going to skip this because I'm not really in the mood to go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it's overplayed. But yeah, for, to forgive, that was one that was like, not quite sure I want to feel this ache right now. Right. But right. you know what I did uh, when I'd skip that? I'd go right to... Fuck you, parentheses, an ode to no one. You can't break me. A nuclear assault. I loved it. Again, Pat, this kind of goes back to what you said. This is definitely one of those slam your door. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm mad at mom and dad. Mm-hmm. I'm going to turn the this song all the way up and crank it. It's a big slam your door song. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And I would add even it's like that, but like with like... Um, applicable to maybe like your first boyfriend or girlfriend or something after like a breakup like it's like (laughs) it's got sort of a like like child that same kind of childlike rage or youthful rage but with sort of like um, this relationship going sour like there's nothing 
more painful imaginable or wor- like and I like I hate you <laughs> I hate you for it more than you can ever you know know you know it wouldn't be a great song to it, it wouldn't feel good to have this song dedicated to you at like in a, <laughs> right. in a karaoke setting a uh, little bit of a, a side note but not really kind of and uh, if you want to watch a show that kind of plays into that angst so perfectly right now it's pin 15 yeah um, excellent so show it's the new freaks and geeks i think it's such an excellent show and it oh man um, uh, it plays right to your teenage it's so good there's a moment yeah. and i've only watched the first episode of the new season but there's a moment where they're at the pool party and it's um uh anna's character just wants to get over to maya's character is that their names in the show too i don't remember yeah anna and maya yeah, yeah. um and she just breaks into like a butterfly stroke, like just to swim like five <laughs> feet. It's like the funniest thing ever. It's just a little. Anyway, we love Pen yeah. 15. Love it. Um, but yeah, I, this listen, I heard some uh, weird chimes or guitar harmonics before the whole band punches in. Uh, never noticed that before, but it's really cool sound. Mm-hmm. So at this time, you know, I'm 13. When you're a teenager in Texas, um, it's it was mandatory that you listen to Pantera. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it just, yeah, with, you know, you support Texas bands and like, you know, Toadies, Pantera, all this, like, it was almost, you know, mandatory that you were into these bands. And I loved Pantera. So Pantera, you know, being into that and being a huge Pumpkins fans, this was like the marriage between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, fuck, yes, I am here for this. This and XYU, I was like, oh my God, You're like, this is marrying the two two of my favorite things at the time yeah any respectable heavy metal band could cover this song and like it, it would it would work you know like it, it, oh yeah it's just fucking like so fucking raw so loud yeah my buddy jeff garlock who's a big metal fan he offered to come on the show where we compile a list of our compile a playlist of all the pumpkins quote-unquote metal songs and have him evaluate if they're truly metal or not <laughs> I'd, I I would do that. I th- I'd be curious to hear a, a metalhead's um, expert opinion on that, and to just get oh, all yeah. those songs in one group. That would be a fun listening experience. I oh think. yeah, the lyrics on this just uh, oh. So uh, kind of talking about like earlier demos appearing into this, we had covered in our uh, Siamese Dream episode about Geek USA the demo for that, which was Suicide Kiss. There's a portion of that where it's a palm mute. Uh, metal part that it sounds like and that comes into there's similarities uh come into this song when he goes destroy the mind mm-hmm. uh that that previous riff is very reminiscent of that riff from suicide kiss it's really cool Yeah, the the man. I mean, lyrically here, I'll never be the shine in your spit is just like, what a great, what a, what a great uh, lyric that is. You know, like it's it's yeah, man, oh man. It, it, this it, imagine like you know that it, it's like the lyrical equivalent of like some like someone spitting in your face. You know, <laughs> it really is like it's funny how like the two uh, the two example because this was kind of written about. 
you know, rock critics and certain fans and stuff and just kind of being like, well, fuck you, you know? Mm. And this is kind of, again, like comparing, again, like Pearl Jam, like Pearl Jam writes a song like Not For You, which is kind of like angry, but like a little reserved. Mm. But Billy's like, no, really, fuck you. Like nuclear, fuck your skull type of. Yeah, yeah, Not uh, For You is mellow compared to this, you know? It's like crunchy compared to this. It's relentless, and like the the way his voice layers in, it's so good. And there's even like a playful. I love the part where it breaks down. Like I give it all to you. Mm-hmm. It feels like kind of a playful Aerosmith, early Aerosmithy Queen kind of jaunt. You yeah. know, like kind of like he's almost like sarcastically, you know, tipping his hat and bowing, being like, "Oh yeah, I give it yeah. all to you." You know, definitely. And I give it- Yeah, yeah, and there's yeah, there's like a. Um, I feel like this is um, this is the time when, you know, Billy was openly embracing nods to to like the you know seventies uh, rock, so like in the way that the, the band dressed and the like you know the theatrics of it all. Like, yeah, I can totally see that. Some releases of this only have it listed as an ode to no one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. He said, "No naughty words, please." I think on actually, I on Spotify currently it is. I believe yeah, I noticed that yesterday when I was listening. I believe to it's it. yeah because the reissue I think doesn't have. I, I yeah. can't remember. It says yeah. on the reissue, on the on the um, the. This is just for the swear word fans out there. On the um, vinyl record of the reissue, it does say it on the physical item, but I'm looking at it on Spotify and it does not say the F word. Mm. Oh boy. Puritanical. Um, Get over it. Come on. It's 2020. Say the F word. List the F word. (laughs) Free the F word. What is the, what is the, uh, uh, fuck the police just listed as the police. That would be confusing. People would think they were listening to, you know, Sting and friends, you know? Uh, well, from um, a nuclear assault to uh, another kind of tongue-in-cheek feeling, the next track on the album is Love. I think we have the return of Cheeky Corgan. Yes, Cheeky Corgan is here. Now, did we both put this on our um, pandemic mix? Did you put it on there as well? I can't remember if I did or not. It, it would definitely made the first cut of it. And it's one of those songs that some Pumpkins fans think is filler. They they really don't like it. Oh, uh, they think it's kind of so-so. But yeah, I this one really resonated to me because, you know, at that time too, again, big Nine Inch Nails fan. Mm-hmm. And that connection with Alan Mulder and Flood, who produced Nine Inch Nails, you know, they're bringing a little bit of that element to it. And, man, it it tickled my fancy, you know. Got, got my love for Nine Inch Nails and my love for Pumpkins, oh. and you're putting it in one song. Dude, this is one of my absolute favorite songs off this record. Um, 
and one of my favorite pumpkin songs. And and the thing I noticed that which which was you know I just hadn't connected before is how this the the beat the distortion is is so hinting at I the song I yes. to come. And of course like Ava Adore shortly thereafter. And a future embrace. I wrote down the same exact thing. Yeah, there. I just had never thought that before. I guess it's kind of apparent, but I just thought of like and, and, and lyrically, like I read, you know, I was reading his his um, liner notes about it, but I think I kind of like got the vibe already of like it's it's there's a mocking tone, you know, um, it throughout the whole thing. But so Billy says uh, a straight up blues where I moan and drone on about conf- the confusing complexities of love, wherever sex is applied as cause and effect. The word love is used low here. Um, it, it, it's it's because in the next song, the uh, Cupid de Lock, it's it's like sort of the the other end of the spectrum where it's like the the like an idealized kind of straightforward, just like Valentine's Day idealized version of love. But like the one-two punch of the, and I love that song too. Um, but straight up the song, this is Billy again. Straight up the song rocked. If he doesn't say so himself. Um, but by smearing the voice and cyber affixing the drums, it takes on a mocking tone that distracts from the very real fear hidden in it. Vagina dentata. Love as represented here uh, is both oppressive and escapable, an unrelenting God that won't go until you are spent and hollowed out. So, um... Yeah, Billy. Kind of vagina dentata. Yeah, come on, Billy. Come on, dude. Come on, man. No one's gonna. I'm bite gonna call you, you out there, Billy. Let's not. Let's. Yeah. Come on. Um, come on. Come on. Um, with teeth, nine inch nails. Yeah. With, with the teeth. The uh, yeah. So it's it, all that aside. I mean, like that's baked into it, and I think I even had a sense of the, it's like it's it's even if you don't know the lyrics or you haven't read the lyrics or paid close attention to them you hear love certainly and you you hear the way it's presented and it's it's not um a romantic valentine's day card you know what i mean like it's all there right. in the sound the emotion oh yeah there in the sound as 13 year old me this was my interpretation of love mm-hmm you know, so you just know. being like, I certainly didn't know. I certainly didn't have a girlfriend at that time. So I was like, you know, just feeling like, oh, nobody loves me and I don't love anybody. So this song kind of played into that whole feeling, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> love stinks. It's kind of the spiritual sequel to that song. Exactly. Love stinks. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the Adrian Ballou, again, kind of mentioning Adrian Ballou, uh, type of guitar solo that it has and that kazoo type of sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adrian Ballou bringing it back to Nine Inch Nails, David yeah. Bowie, uh, Talking Heads, excellent guitar player, check him out. So this is what's interesting to me about this song is kind of a perfect example of where people are complaining about the new single about Seer. Uh, about the drums and stuff and saying like, well, no, no, there's no way, you know, this doesn't sound like the pumpkins and, you know, Jimmy doesn't even play on it even though he does. And it's like, this is a good example of being like, see, this is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's been there. It's yeah. there. Yeah. There's nothing too new about this. They're not betraying any sound because it is part of their sound. Yeah. And this song is one of those examples of that. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and man, oh man, like, oh, Jesus Christ. I, 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 I just can't, this is one of my my absolute favorites. I already said that, but I just fucking yeah. love it. The cheesy slowdown ending, it could have been really like 
Eu... But then it has this kind of trail to it that mm -hmm. kind of like comes back to this kind of futuristic horror mm -hmm. uh, sound that I really love. And it kind of gave me a little bit of a Ariam's monster vibe, you know, with the tone of that like kind of trail ending. I loved it. I love this song. I think it's cool. I know a lot of people think it's kind of filler, but I think it's great. Couldn't disagree with that more. Um, all right. So in the love theme, our next song is Cupid De La. Now for something entirely different. Holy shit. Yeah. You know, I remember listening to this and being like, what? Mm -hmm. It's majestic. It's gorgeous. There's harp. Who, again, who the fuck else is doing this yeah. and pulling it off? It's another, it's a strata. It's like in another stratosphere. Totally. There's nobody at this time in that genre of music who is even attempting anything like this. Mm -hmm. It's insane. Yeah, it's, it's and uh, man, I, I like this, I love the song. I, I kind of always have. It's one of the Me ones too. that um, by the time you get to it, and then it goes even further with Galapagos next, it's like you're all, like at this point in the album, you're kind of like awash in the sea of melancholy. Like I, like I would be out in space like to the point where I'm ready for this like whimsical little excursion, but um, it's yeah, it's it's uh, it's that sort of flip side of the what we were just talking about with the previous song of just like earnest, you know, um, like straightforward declaration of love, going from cynical and snarling and wounded and angry to a song that that earnestly beckons um come all ye lovers uh it's a, it's sort of in the, like the medieval billy that we've we've right discussed before but so like antique so like antique sound it like it's it's it, like you were saying it's crazy that this was like the, the hottest album among the kids <laughs> with this kind of and it's got a glissandra like uh what do you, what do you call it a glissando harp mm -hmm. you know part where it's like a very dreamy old hollywood yeah uh, man, again, this really plays in just what we're talking about. This plays directly into teenage feelings mm -hmm. where one minute you're like burn love to the ground yeah. and the next minute being like, I'm on cloud nine because I'm in love with whoever I have a crush. It mm -hmm. so perfectly plays into that teen mentality. Yeah. The high heights and the low lows and, and how they can become right in quick succession of, of one another and then uh, i mean i just love that that lute or whatever that loop guitar loop that's playing throughout mm -hmm. it is so great i love the also the remix version that's on the uh, reissue because you can hear jimmy's uh, floor toms a little bit more mm -hmm. on that
Uh, I uh, this song is just so. I, I want to say that this album really kind of opened up where I was pretty, um, I guess, uh, closed off musically to what I felt like I should like. Mm-hmm. And I felt melancholy opened me up to being like, no, there's so much more that you could like yeah. and really made it okay for me to like the things that I liked that weren't, you know, again, like Fleetwood Mac or like, mm-hmm. you know, even like PJ Harvey or, yeah. or not PJ Harvey, but like, you know, I like, cause that, that was still cool. But <laughs> you know, like a lot of the other stuff that maybe, or like um, Jeff Buckley, you know, like mm-hmm. there's certain things that I was just like, maybe it's not cool to like, but I, this album kind of made it being like, no, you should like it. I mean, yeah. it's whatever. if you like it, you like it. Definitely. I'm so grateful to have gotten this album at such a young age or to have been like, been there for it because you're totally right. It's such a, such a sampler platter of just like all these different sounds. And it's, yeah, it's such a great way in to all this other music you can discover after the fact. And I, I agree about PJ Harvey because even though she was and is always has been like very cool, I think at the time, like there was something kind of like sophisticated and adult about her, you know, where it like right. wasn't as easy for a young kid to. Um, I happen to like listen to a lot of her because my best friend growing Me up too. was like obsessed with PJ Harvey. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. And even like I, I mentioned Nick Cave before, like just the sort of like textures and the kind of like um, the ability to like, just like you're de- like broadening your horizons of what can be cool and what you'll pay attention to and like what, um, yeah, I think just like the, yeah. the rocker singles pulling in a kid and then serving up all this, this like, you know, it's just like a rich tapestry of sounds that is so I, I'm I, yeah like yeah. I said I'm grateful to have gotten it at a young age in my in my, my little ears and I think it's a kind of another example of like kind of foreplay setting up what's going to be in the second half of the the record kind mm-hmm. of being like get ready there's going to be a little bit more of this and then also kind of back to <laughs> he's got his poetry at the end like who's doing that right again this is such a middle finger to everyone he said fuck you I'm even putting my poetry in this mm-hmm. shit yeah <laughs> like, He's just going for it. And it works. Yeah, he attributes that to um, Elvis. In a humble nod to Elvis, there is even a spoken word spoken word poem of dedication that lilts out on the gallop. For I couldn't help myself but wrap fully in the cloak of a sincere and innocent lover. There you go. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Hey, look at that salt shaker over there. That's huge. <laughs> Little tiny Elvis reference. We're gonna sleep in a hat. We're gonna dance in a shoe. We're gonna climb up a chair. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna do with you. Cause as of me, I'm tired of Elvis. But yeah, there, there you go. Earnest love song. Earnest, you know, it's like, and, and to yeah. me, this look, this, this song um, sounds like what the... Um, aesthetic of the album looks like the little antiquity cheruby you know yeah victorian like uh collage uh, that it, like feels nostalgic but also kind of you know also kind of 1995 pat you know i think we should take a little trip mm-hmm where should we go? Well, I think we should evolve as people. And what better place to do that than the islands of Galapagos? I want to 
Galapagos. Uh, I misread this. <laughs> this is how dumb I was. Texas education system. Um, <laughs> I always thought it was Galapagos. Well, he does spell it weird, right? I think he spell. I think he. I think the Pogos is a misspell. Is a Billy, right? Because it's Pogos. Billyism. It's. I think yeah. it's Galapagos. It. I think. It, I think that is fair because he. You were actually catching a, a typo. You were actually right. You know. I was catching a biliism before what I knew what it was. Right. Yeah. I'm sure that this probably caused me to spell the word wrong for years. Like, oh yeah, for it, sure. Um, like mayonnaise. Yeah. I yeah. Still to this day, I think. Uh, well, the original title of this was the Innocence. Right. That was news to me. So usually when he does that, there's a meaning to it. Like there's a, a, a there's a reason for it because of how you pronounce it. Like there's like a di- different meaning. Like you know mayonnaise. He's saying my own eyes and. Mm-hmm. Seer, see, seer, and like right. uh, I'm, I'm blanking. On, I know fans are yelling at their iPhones right now, being like, "Also, this example." But right, right. I can't think of it right now. But yeah, he's he's one to do that. And uh, this song, I think, you know, kind of me being foolish, I listened to this this the album front to back. But this was another one I would kind of skip uh, just because I wasn't quite in the mood for it. Mm-hmm. But it's a gorgeous song. But the one part I always loved about this song is the uh, the the turn that it takes, you mm-hmm. know, it's the um, about like the detour takes about three minutes. Yes, yeah, I just love, I love it. I mean, it's just such a sweet song, and it's it becomes epic. It feels cinematic, you know, mm-hmm. like running in the rain, yeah, you know, to your lover. It feels kind of like that. Yeah, definitely. And I I, I remember like uh, like um, in my like teenage love, like kind of like thinking about this song. Like I think this is another one where like the intended learning Billy's intended meaning or or his inspiration for it, like his own crumbling marriage. Um, you know, uh, failed romance, like, but then, like, if we died right now, this fool you love somehow is here with you, like, still feeling like, oh, we're, like, losing each other, but we're, like, connected still. Maybe Galapagos is sort of the, the up-and-down nature of love, like pog- like a pogo stick. I don't know. That's my theory. Yeah. That's my hot take. It's so earnest and cheesy, but I love it for its ambition. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, again you know like who thinks of this like that cinematic epic you know running out of sound part it's just so Mm -hmm. nobody's doing that at that time we're running out of sound such a good lyric too like man just the perfect blend yeah i i live for the the moment around 327 where it all crashes it's just like yeah this is a great one this is another one that I, i wouldn't always listen to the whole thing but when i when you do it's it's um very worth it it's worth the wait um all right folks put the little mask on your dog because it's time for muzzle
put the little mask on your dog. I mean, hey, we're still in COVID times. Yeah. But at, at the time that we're recording this, dogs were kind of ahead of the curve on that on the whole muzzle. We're all wearing muzzles yep. now. I guess that's what the anti-masker community would argue. <laughs> right? like, I'm not wearing a muzzle, man. I'm gonna destroy this Walmart. I'm gonna- yeah. <laughs> well, well, Pat and I believe in wearing masks, so you know, take yeah, it. Yeah, please leave. wear a mask. It's not a muzzle. Um, yeah. You could still bark through it. We encourage you to wear. If you wear a mask. If you agree to wear a mask, then I would not be mad at you for running around outside barking like DMX all day long. You know, as long as you got a mask on, like... Yeah, look, dudes, if you think that it doesn't make you look cool, look, five years ago you were doing Bane impressions. You think masks are cool, just wear it. Right, think about Bane if you have to. Be Bane! Be like Bane! Be Bane. Be Bane. Be the Bane! Um, So Muzzle, yeah, this was sort of like the the bonus single off of a single-filled album um yeah i love the song it you know it's uh it's i was disappointed we didn't get a video for it yeah yeah i guess like it was a i don't really know the distinction because i remember hearing it on the radio um but yeah i I don't know like in 90s record company i mean you know who knows this was like an unprecedentedly huge hit double album anyway so maybe there wasn't like a protocol but i don't really get why it was a single but didn't have a video but when videos were so important to this album, but maybe it was just sort of like the record company squeezing one more out or something. Yeah, it just kind of, I think because of post, you know, Jimmy leaving and everything, mm-hmm. you know, the 33 was kind of signifying the direction they were probably going to take. And it's very intimate, you know, and I think they were kind of just trying to, they were kind of like quietly moving on mm-hmm. by that point, being like, okay, we're, we're we're at a different band now because of the unfortunate circumstances. So like we'll release this kind of quietly, but we're moving on. Yeah, because this pr- this came out as a single in like '97, right? Yeah, we we're already into '97. Yeah, so this this and album as, had been going for well, you know better part of two years at this point. And they were playing it live like on talk shows, like as we said, you know, we just had the Melissa Joan Hart interview mm-hmm. episode, and that's the song that they played on the Conan appearance. Mm-hmm. On the Conan appearance with Melissa Joan Hart. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny that he named it Muzzle because he talked about how he thinks his life would be so much simpler if he just kept his trap shut. Right, right. <laughs> well, simpler maybe, but it wouldn't be Billy Corgan, you know? Exactly. I, this is, I mean, I've talked about it because it was on my mix as well. Uh, it, it's, it's an anthem. It's in my top five favorite pumpkin songs of all time, I think. I think it is one of the definitive pumpkin songs. As Mayonnaise was on Siamese Dream, to me, that's what Muzzle is mm-hmm. for uh, Melancholy. Yeah, I could see a connection between the two songs, too. Like, it, it, it's... it's. Um, I think vocally, it, it's, a, it's a good example of, like, what, what was different uh, about this album and what, you know, as we've talked about, like, what Billy was doing in his voice. Like, Mayonnaise is, like, a more pretty kind of lilting one, and this is, like leaning into that snarl which i i love you know um but both kind of similar um tones of of songs yeah it's the perfect marriage of siamese dream in their new direction Mm -hmm. um also the the lyric i still feel that to this day oh yeah yeah i mean it just i don't know it 
kept me hopeful in a shit town in my shit teenage years, feeling out of place and unwanted. And, you know, I don't know. It spoke right to me. It still does. It still gets me. Uh, I remember when MTV was covering some of the live shows they were doing pre-Melancholy, where it had, he had alternate lyrics for it. Do you think when he says, it's for the girl I loved all along, uh, do you get you get a sense that maybe he's talking about Courtney Love? <laughs> Probably. I don't know. I don't know. Could I'm just be. kind of being playful here. But Muzzle, again, if you want to hear kind of more thoughts, I don't mean to rush too much, but if you want to hear more of our thoughts on Muzzle, you can go back to our Pandemic Mixes episode. But I, it's one of my favorite pumpkin songs of all time. Yeah. Have you ever heard the words I'm singing in these songs? It's for the girl I loved all along. Yeah. Who is that? Maybe he's telling us something big there. I mean. Because at that time, he had already started dating Yelena. Mm-hmm. He had gotten divorced and he was dating someone new. So, I don't know. Hmm. Maybe it's Darcy. This is my hot take. <gasps> Pat. I don't know. Are you I shipping? Think that, I think that sometimes. I don't know. I think, like, how else can such... We don't have to get into the, uh, this. But, like, the... the Man, there's something between them that is just so, like... In that video, going Old back lovers to the Lollapalooza of, yeah. um, video where he's interviewing people. I don't know if it's reciprocated by Darcy, it, it, but, like... The feelings between them are just fucking strong. It just bleeds through the old VHS footage, like oh yeah, just the, the negative feelings. But it's like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Where we won't get into yeah, we'll, whatever uh, to the I, fan fiction stuff. Yeah. So anyway, I am throwing that out there as chum to the <laughs> <laughs> just chumming the waters. I apologize for that, but but. Always a shit stir. You used to work for TMZ, so it's only natural. Yes, I, I used to, and I still I still freelance for them. So I, I Skype into their little meetings where Harvey, um, you know, has his, has his water bottle and uh, yeah. Anyway. But the creepy thing is, is you don't let them know. You just kind of come in and you no, just I don't turn my video them. on. I just, You're a true creep. I just listen. Yeah, and then I expo- then I leak stuff about them to other websites, yeah. to lesser websites. Yeah, and the movie Nightcrawler is based off of you, right? Yeah, largely. Yeah, they you know they based that off of me, and um, you know that's uh, I had some, I, I I worked on the script and you know did some costume stuff on the film. But, um, oh, cool! All off the radar. Truly despicable person. Despicable me. That was based on me too. Well, Pat, uh, despite you being the worst human being alive, um, we're going to talk about. So we're going to move on. We're going to talk about a very beautiful song that is not awful in the least bit, and that is. Porcelina of the Vast Oceans. Epic. Epic. This is just another Pumpkins epic. I love how this song builds. It's fu- It was fun for me to learn how to uh, learn and play uh, when mm. I was doing guitar because, you know, I had the guitar tab book and this was one of my favorites. Um, I You literally can't hear it until about 20 seconds in unless you have, like, headphones. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love the hushed delay, too, that happens at the beginning with that na-na-na-na-na-na-na.
It's almost like on chill whippets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I did listen to it with headphones a lot this week, which um, I guess maybe I didn't do as a kid much. I listened to it a lot in my room, like, but... I did also lug the CDs everywhere with me too. I remember having this big chunky CD case in my, like, like melancholy plus like two or three other CDs in my backpack with my portable CD player. So I guess I did listen to it on headphones, but they were probably such crappy Radio Shack headphones that like I was losing (laughs) many of the nuances of the the recording. Uh, I love the build of it. And of course that the, the, the additions that get layered on in that beginning as it gets louder and louder, it's so good. And then once it hits that burst, oh, it hits me every mm-hmm. single time. It's so satisfying and it's so epic. It feels like queen level, you know? Yeah, yeah. This kind of has another example of like that distorted clipped synth that would turn back up on Machina. Mm-hmm. Um, I love at 616 that secret thoughts come alive part with that swirling, what I assume is Darcy's vocal. Although there is some uh, some controversy there that uh, Billy removed a lot of Darcy's yeah, vocals. I, I, it, so, yeah, I, I like there were moments throughout the album listening to it where I, could, I almost heard like phantom Darcy vocals that may have just been layered Billy's. But I read that she's only like she got removed across the board except for um, farewell and, and oh good night oh and beautiful yeah yeah. So that can't be true. Never mind. But it wasn't across the board besides Farewell and Good Night. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> there are moments where I heard um, where where I would have like, you know, and I don't really listen to this album with like notes in mind for changes. But there are definitely moments where it would have been nice to hear a little bit more, just like sort of layered in backing vocals from Darcy. I just think her voice is such a so nice, like such a nice kind of backing bed you know yeah um, i love it so, so i wouldn't have complained if it if it was the case yeah i love the shoegaze like guitars at the end it sounds like it's being played in an echoey hallway you know it's oh also it's mixed more to the left ear if you're listening on mm. headphones it's really really cool that sound it really kind of is it's an awesome experience And that staccato, like, uh, guitar sound, the chorus sound as it goes out is really cool. Um, I I don't know. I really love this song. It's one of those Pumpkins epics that I'm really into. Uh, Really fantastic. Yeah, yeah, same. Okay, so we've journeyed to the depths of the vast ocean, but we're going to go even deeper, deeper down to take me down.
written by one Mr. James Eha. I the feel of this song is so tactile. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It, it has this kind of country meets the Curish meets the Beatles type of sound, but the tone, the tone is just so I can't really describe. But it feels like a warm blanket. Yeah, yeah, definitely feels like a warm blanket. And and I'll admit, I this would be a song that I think a lot of um, melancholy critics would say you could lose this. You could, you know. And and yeah. I'll admit, even though I am a big James fan, I really like the songs that he sings on, and I really like his songs. I would often skip this song. I, I and and maybe Me maybe still too. do. I, you know, it's one of those that really had to grow on me. And I'm kind of not mad. I wouldn't say mad. Mad is the wrong word. But I feel like, especially with these reissues, James had better songs. Mm-hmm. I mean, even just alone, like um, said sadly, or even the boy. Yeah, I love that song. Yeah. You know, I feel like, I don't know. And I know that James was upset that it got tacked on at the end of the album. Uh, He felt like it was a little bit of a slight towards him. But it's a song that definitely grew on me. And I think that um, I I, I I love it now. I like the way that it builds. It's fun. It's a a bit of an adore nod, in my opinion. Uh, I I just imagine... (laughs) Just imagine if this was released as a single and people being like, huh, that's the pumpkins. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's part of the beauty of what James brings to the band. And I don't know. Yeah, I think it's not my favorite, but I, I have grown to love it. Um, yeah, I, I just think there are better James songs for me personally, but it does fit the tone of the album and how it closes it. I think it does fit the the tone more so than maybe the other ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and that's kind of what Billy says about it. Um, some, well, somewhat. He says uh, it fit in because thematically it fit in nowhere I could find, although sonically its drowsiness had echoes elsewhere. And I'm paraphrasing. James saw the demotion of his favorite, his favorite song to the back of the line as an unforgivable slight, killing his desire to contribute to the band as a writer of note from that moment on. You know... I don't really love the reissue notes he does because at that time he was still in, like, kind of him and James had a very strained relationship. Yeah, they weren't speaking, right? I mean, they weren't speaking or they were only speaking through lawyers. And so it really comes across in his liner notes yeah. for the reissues. And it's kind of unfair. And I don't really love the way that he paints James in those liner notes. Right. Um, but, you know, now, as you know, he, he's owned up to it. He's said that he was, you know, being unfair. And he he and James are in good terms because they have kids and stuff. And they, mm-hmm. they're just different people now. And they've, uh, hopefully, they've, I, yeah. you know. And, and, and just, to, just to, you know, because I don't want to diss James's one song on here because I do really like him. I hope, yeah. I, I really would be so psyched if the new album featured a James track oh it would God. be great i feel like doubtful yeah. about it for some reason but um it would be great i would, love I would be that. so psyched you know it, it would be awesome and i feel like or a line or just give him a line to sing yeah. i don't know i just <laughs> yeah let him say boom shakalaka or like you know let him be the hype man i don't know but um and i hope like that 
the fact that it's been such a long road to get James back in the band and to get the band back to this like three-fourths reformed original state, you know, or, or like the, the state that it's in that feels pretty stable now, I think. Um, it, you'd think he, you'd think there'd be almost no way he could like undervalue James after all this. You know what I mean? Like Billy, I'm talking about. Um, yeah. You'd think it would be like, you know, just go without saying that he would value his contribution. And it seems like, he, you know, we saw at least a photograph of them. I think James worked on the album and um, it seems like it's pulling from influences that certainly The Cure and other stuff that James, we know, is like very um, inspired by. So um, anyway, love James, but I, I, yeah, I would often skip this song. I have to, I have to admit. Mm-hmm. Well, Pat, that is Dawn to Dusk, the first disc of Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. I would say on this, I I was listening to it in the car uh, a lot, and my wife commented, she's like, it's been so long since I've listened to this album front to back. Mm-hmm. You know, She was a big fan of this album as well when she was a teenager, and we were just kind of talking about different tracks and like what it meant to us and like just kind of like the association with it and how this album was just so grand and, and listening back to it, like very closely, there was so much new stuff that I caught. That's one of the, you know, I really love this doing this podcast because I get to catch a lot of this stuff, but on re-listen, it really took me back and it really made me appreciate this album uh, and love it even more. Absolutely. Same here. And, and from, from whole songs to just elements of songs, like you mentioned, like the, the toms in, um, is it, uh, what song were we just talking Cupid about? Cupid Deluxe. Yes. Like that, I, I was listening to that on headphones last night and it, it, I guess it's a remastered version thing, but I had never noticed it to that degree before. There's like, it, so I, I love it too. I will say this is a great, I've, I've, I love my, um, uh, vinyl box set reissue, especially like Me looking too. at the, you know, and, and we'll talk a little bit about the, we'll talk about the artwork too. Um, but looking at all the stuff in there, but it's also nice when you're, when you're trying to digest this album front to back, I've often kind of lamented how just what a project it is to listen to four pieces of vinyl in a way that flows, you know? Like, right. it, but when you're break when you're breaking it down the way we are, half by half, it's kind of good to like listen to it. And it, I, basically, I dusted off my vinyl, and it was like a good reason to um, listen to it that way because you could really digest it um, in chunks. All right, so you know we would be we would be remiss not to talk about sort of the other star of the album, which is the the album art uh, in it, for Melancholy, which was. You know, it, it's been seared into all of our memories for years, but until relatively recently, I never bothered to learn much about it, to learn about, um, and I, I've seen, I know that, you know, uh, Billy had done these sketches, uh, these sort of concept sketches, which yeah, he Which then, is in the reissue. Yeah, you could see his early, kind of very rudimentary, but yet, but yet oddly specific and it, like it's all there like the rabbit you know like he he knew what he wanted in the in the cover and in those um plates like the you know the 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 rabbits and the kitties and the bunnies playing 
it and the babies like he it, a lot of that stuff Billy was like this needs to be that but it was all done by an artist named John Craig who does um, like photo collage stuff um, including the the front cover of the album which I knew from like going to art school and taking a lot of art history classes I eventually connected the dots that the body that the um, the woman's body on the cover is from a Raphael painting of um, I think Catherine St. Catherine um, but I still thought right. that this was like I didn't know that the front cover was a collage I think I thought it was all one painting that was just like referring to other paintings but it is a photo yeah. collage um, and Pat I was last night years old when I found that out yeah, I, I only looked it up recently. I, I happened to, I, like a couple months ago, I was I was reading an interview with this guy John Craig, um, yeah, from it was on NPR, and he, just to give a little background, uh, the creator of the the you know the they're talking about the melancholy the star girl on the on the cover. Her creator is John Craig, an illustrator from Pittsburgh who was living in Wisconsin when he be began communicating with Corgan about what visual elements could bring the enormous melancholy to life. A collage artist, Craig had spent most of his career doing editorial commissions for magazines. Um, he worked from Corgan's scribbled notes and crude sketches, most of which arrived via fax. And he, of course, made all the other illustrations that appear throughout the animal's packaging, uh, or from the album's packaging, animal smoking pipes, celestial mm -hmm. bodies with faces. The hookah stuff. Hookah stuff. Um, all with a vaguely antique quality, but uh, yeah, she, the 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 stuff was all cut from sort of paper ephemera, found papers, and, and retro magazines and books, and yeah, it's it's really cool to just see, to to look at these reissue notes and to see both the works in progress. Um, there's a version of the cover that is like halfway there. That's like it's not what they ended up going with, but. Um, you know, you, it's you could tell it's on the right track. Then just seeing a zoomed out version of the collages, where you can actually where where you can actually see that where the paper was pasted on and the sort of like off kilter. You know, you could see it's a zoomed out collage. It's not, it's like it, rather yeah. than being framed, so you can you could see the different elements glued together. Um, yeah, John Craig. It's all this guy, and you know, I think the cover image was it was a you know two the, the head was from one painting the body was from another and the star was from an a, like a retro uh liquor ad of some kind where it was like liquor <laughs> glasses with like um these stars around the rim so the the star with the hole that she's poking through was was from an old uh liquor had there's there's all sorts of you know fun facts about it i won't read the whole article to you you can you can look it up it's called uh melancholy mystery girl the story behind an icon an iconic album cover but you can also go to his website and see other stuff that he's made it's johncraigprints.com and i looked there and i'm realizing that there's these these collages of like faces made out of fruits and vegetables that are totally familiar to me. I've seen them before. 
I think there might have even have been one hanging at a restaurant here in LA or like a, uh, I think there, yeah, I'm picturing one hanging at um, somewhere uh, around Wasn't here. it Fred? Um, it might be Fred some... 62. Well, they have stuff by Wayne White, who did the Tonight Tonight video, who also worked right, at yeah. Pee-wee's Playhouse. So there's definitely that connection there. Um, and we, we he's still high on my list of, uh, of people we'd love to get to talk to on, on this, yeah. on this podcast. And, and, uh, this guy too, John Craig would be, would be really cool to talk to. So if anybody knows them or if you're listening, please come on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I could talk all day about it, but what, what are your thoughts on the, on the art stuff, Frank? Yeah, the artwork is seared into my memory. It's just, it's so iconic. It's, I remember just staring at it and trying to pick apart every little element of it and loving. If I were a rich man uh, and I had more space and I had my own office, I would have all this artwork up framed. Mm-hmm. You know, I would, I would probably deck out, you know, as much of that room or my office with that type of artwork i mean I, I just absolutely love it i love the aesthetic of melancholy it's always been with me i've always wanted to do what you did which is which is get a tattoo um you know of some kind of art you know art piece element i know my wife uh entertained it at some point too uh but yeah it's 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 iconic i remember just listening to the album front to you know front to back and um was sitting there just dissecting you know every image and every lyric and everything that associated with it it's just it's phenomenal it's great um i love the the way the prints look on the that clothing line you know it's yeah. really cool mm-hmm. um it's just great yeah i i don't know what else to i'm not <clears throat> I'm not the biggest like art historian i'm not, i don't have a great eye for uh you know art in general um at least of the the paint uh, the painting uh, genre is that even mm-hmm. see what I mean? I don't know shit about that. I'm not cultured, Pat. Um, Dude, I like learned about. I, t- I took. I was like just kind of by default because I was an art major. I was like a drawing and pa- drawing and painting major. Yeah. So you had to take a lot of um, art history in the you know to be an art major. So it kind of by default just became. I was like an art history minor, but like just because of the credits that I took, you know, it just worked out that way. So I did like have yeah. to learn about a lot of this stuff like for tests, but like it would I would learn it, I would cram it into my brain, and then all the facts would leave. But the nice part is I I like yep. I, none of that shit really matters. Like I think it's like, and I think what's cool about this is that it's it's um, you know this piece of like pop art that's pulling from truly all over the place, like and, like Renaissance paintings to like. 50s whiskey ads to but all weaving it together in this kind of like um really uh cohesive but like and like antique but like like kind of dot it plays into his aesthetic so well like to his personality it's like a very perfect summation of billy's taste Mm -hmm. and they're the and the and there's something so like I don't know if he affected the way like her eyes were rolled back in her head. I don't think so. The face was um, was taken from painting by the French painter Jean Baptiste Gruz or Gruset. I, I don't know French, but um, and then the body was uh, 
from a Raphael painting who, growing up, I knew Raphael is my favorite Ninja Turtle, but I couldn't have picked out one of his paintings. But I Mine was Donatello. Donatello yeah. was my second favorite and has since moved into first position. I feel like as an angry <laughs> young man, I was more Raphael, but I was always destined right. to be more of a Donatello. Anyway, yeah, so it, like the, the head... It, it, it's got like this twisted vibe to it because her, her uh, eyes are kind of rolling back in her head. And then they talk about in this article, like the sort of suggestive hand placement where it, it, they ask, they ask uh, is she masturbating? And he, he says, you know, I have to be honest with you. I see that in a lot of paintings of women from those periods. There's a lot of fondling, self-fondling. She may be, and maybe only Raphael knows. There's something about the placement of the hands and the whole look this woman has on her face that implies it. I think that's the unspoken eroticism in a lot of that early art. So it feels like in a time when like edgy and naughty, what like 90s stuff was, was um, you know, there was a lot of currency with that. There was a lot of like, everybody was kind of competing to be, to have like the kind of edgier, more iconic album cover. Right. And the fact that they these guys did it with this, you know, painting from the Middle Ages is, um, is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, what a pervert. No, but ser- I mean, it's tasteful. I think it's just, I don't know. I never noticed that. I never thought about it. Maybe subconsciously it got through to me as a teenage boy, but I don't know who's to say. But I think that it's, I mean, it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful artwork. It fits so much for the tone of the album. And at, like again, I think it really represents Billy's aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And then um, the artist uh, goes on to say that he was at he never he communicated with Billy via fax and over the phone to work out all of this art stuff. Um, but he went to that that con- that release performance you were talking about, um, where the power went out. And he said uh, they had to cut their power, cheap trick open, they had to cut their power down by half because the place was so decrepit, but it was packed. There was an after party too, but it was so late and my kids were kind of young and we never did get there. So I never got to meet Billy face to face as much as we had talked on the phone and seemed to sync pretty well as far as our thinking went. I did send him an old children's book print that I had found loose with all the other paper ephemera I had. It must have been from Cinderella or something like that. It was this smashed pumpkin as though the carriage had turned back into a pumpkin and the little critters were fleeing, the mice and all that. I put it in an old frame and sent that to him. And that was the end of the story. Damn. And that is not the end of our story here with Melancholy. No. As you pumpkin heads know, we're, it's, we're only halfway through talking about this. And just in case you're sick of us whinging on about uh, Melancholy, we're going to actually have a special guest for the next episode to help us talk through uh, CD2, um, mm-hmm. Twilight to Starlight. DC Pearson is going to be joining us for that. So uh, stay tuned for that. And yeah, uh, if you want to reach us on the socials, please do so. On Twitter, it's at Pumpkins Podcast, and podcast is spelt normal. And if you want to reach us on Instagram, it's at Smashing Pumpcast, cast is spelled K-A-S-T. Or you can email us at thesmashingpumpcast at gmail.com. And again, cast is spelled K-A-S-T. 
And uh, we're, you know, we're always looking for like live stuff, rare stuff. Um, email us if you have any access to that stuff or just let us know, you know, how you're, if you're liking the podcast, we love hearing positive feedback. And even, you know, if it's not so positive, you know, we welcome constructive criticism. Just don't be nasty. Don't be mean. But yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, we really appreciate all the feedback that you've been giving us. It really puts fuel in the tank uh people seem to really be enjoying it people really like the pisces iscariot episode with ryan Parrish, uh our good friend and uh yeah just keep spreading the word keep telling other pumpkins fans about us uh we really love that you're digging the show and we got so so much more on the horizon a lot of good stuff coming up yeah and and technically we're not even done with this episode so yeah. i mean it, it's going to be its own episode but um yeah thank you guys so much for listening and uh tune in next time for cd2 of melancholy and the infinite sadness but until then we bid you farewell and, and good night, night. My love to you and